You know, before we dive in uh, to the scripture, I didn't do this the first service, but I feel prompted to do this now. Because um, as Pastor Denise mentioned, extending hope is going to be wrapped up before we know it. And we've talked about it a couple weeks. And uh, I, I, I want to do a show of hands, but I don't want to do that. How, I'm, I'm pretty sure most of us are like, yes, I'm gonna, I'm, I got to set that time to pray. Yes, I'm going to do that. Um, I'll do that. I'll do that. And then time passes, and then we don't do it. And then we get stressed last minute. Um, so here's, uh, let you in on my process. Every year I do this with Extending Hope. I pray throughout, from the beginning, the middle, and by the last week, at that point, I feel a lot of confidence that I've actually heard from God because I've checked in several times. Um, and in the process, you know, Sometimes the numbers get adjusted, you know, during the process, like, oh, okay. But by the time it wraps up, I have some peace, and we go for it. So I want us to pray right now. Again, remember the way we've communicated this. If you're like, oh, this feels so pressure, I'm, we're, there's no pressure here. Because if God tells you to not give, that's what you're supposed to do. But this is a discipleship moment, as we've mentioned. That's the whole purpose of this moment, of this season, is just to get us to talk to God about our money. So I want to invite you if, you, if you'd be willing to do so, just close your eyes just for a moment and just come before the Lord. Say, Lord, extending hope is here, and I want to check in with you to see if, if there is something you would have me to do. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us. Lord, in this moment of prayer, what we're acknowledging is that everything we have in our life belongs to you, that we're stewards at most. We're not owners. And Lord, whether we give or whether we don't give, may those decisions be decisions based out of obedience to your voice, not what our fears tell us, society tells us. May we obey you. That's what we're after. We want to be fully disciples where you can speak to us in particular about our money. Because if you could speak to us about our money, you could speak to us about anything. So, Lord, speak to us. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're like me, after moments like that, some of you are a little scared now. You're like, I heard a scary number. Um, or uh, some of you are like, oh, okay, I, I think that's wherever you're at. Check in next couple days. Check in again. Um, and why I say this, because it doesn't fail. Every year, um, Saturday comes, and I get, like, a text or email. Hey, can I still give? Yeah. And it's like, and I feel bad because you, you want to be a part of the Sunday celebration um, if that's how God leads. And so, uh, so, yeah, we don't have a lot of time. Pray. Listen. Do what he says. So Romans chapter 8. That's what we're going to be spending time in the next couple of weeks. If you're not aware, 
because uh, perhaps um, you, know, you didn't see a commercial about it because society doesn't necessarily celebrate it. Society celebrates a commercialized version of Christmas, but they don't celebrate Advent. And Advent is something that we join with the historic church in celebrating the season where the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day, the church takes time to reflect on Scripture and to allow Jesus to form in us his heart as we experience this really interesting kind of waiting. Waiting is a part of our life. No matter how much we try to eliminate waiting, even instantaneous is not fully instantaneous. There's always some degree of waiting. But we as followers of Jesus, we wait, but we wait differently. And in this series, we're going to take a look at the Romans chapter 8, which is a key passage in this amazing book of the Bible. It's kind of like a hinge moment in this book. And you may wonder and say, what does Romans chapter 8 have to do with Christmas and Advent? And that's a good question. Um, and I hope that you lean in and listen in to the things that God is going to speak to us. We're going to begin in verse 1, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to worship together, to encounter your presence as a community. You are the living God. And you are alive, and we, in, we hear your voice, we experience your presence, your goodness in, in settings like this. And we come to your word with expectation that we would hear your voice, that you would renew our minds. Speak to us, we pray. Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus. Magnify him. Help us to see him more clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. <clears throat> As I shared just a few moments ago, Advent, it's a tradition that began in the 4th century 
And Advent, the word itself means coming or arrival. And what the church celebrates during this season is the most amazing, miraculous, transformative event in history. And that was when God entered into his creation. The creator God entered into his creation, but he didn't just enter into his creation in any old way. He entered in by becoming a full human being. He remained fully God, but he was a full human being. This is a, a, a mystery that we behold and we marvel at. Our minds are not that expansive to comprehend the majesty of what Scripture tells us about this moment in time that we're celebrating that we call the incarnation. And the church has kind of uh, celebrated in this way of waiting. Because you see what happened is during Advent, we celebrate the arrival or the fulfillment of God's promise, but we also do so as we await for God to fulfill his ultimate promise. What scripture tells us is the second coming of Christ, that Christ will one day come and fulfill all things. And so Advent is this interesting season where we celebrate the arrival, the fulfillment of a promise, while we await the fulfillment of future promises, particularly the second coming. But it's this season of holy waiting. And I, as I said earlier, we wait very differently than the world waits. I remember a friend of mine told me uh, this story that I thought was really comical, um, but I, I, as he told it, I realized it, he was telling me something that was actually quite stressful for him, so I realized it's not appropriate to laugh, and so keep it in, listen. Um, but why I was tempted to laugh is because I went through something very similar, and uh, you know, it's easier to laugh at your pain after it's over, right? Um, and this was the painful moment. I, uh, he was telling me about a package that he had, uh, something he ordered, and he was waiting for the package to arrive. And it was around Christmas time. And so uh, I'm sure some of you right now, as I mentioned that, your spine got stiffened up, your shoulders got a little tense. like, that's right. I, f I was trying to forget that package I'm waiting for, and it, it, it needs to arrive. And if it doesn't arrive, it's going to spoil everything. And even though I planned for it in advance, you just never know. Weather could deteriorate or blah, blah, blah. You, the stress of something not arriving. This dude was really stressed because it was a very special gift that he had planned for his grandmother. Um, so he is, like, refreshing his screen constantly because it was supposed to arrive on a specific day. And then he gets a notification, it's arrived. Drops his phone, runs to the door, opens the door. Where is it? It's not there. And so he's like, he's going to refresh it. Maybe he got a fault. No, it was like, now he gets a second message like, congratulations, enjoy the gift. He's like, enjoy what? It's not here. And so now he's stressed. So now he's, he's calling the manufacturer. He's calling the shipping company. And it's like, we don't know what to tell you. It says it's arrived. It did not arrive. And now he is going through all sorts of anxieties like, can I reorder it? If I reorder it, will, I, will it arrive on time? No, it will not arrive on time. They did this to me. He's going through all this stress. It turns out it was shipped and it was left at the door. It was just left at the second door, the side door, the door that he would never check because he lives in the suburbs. And that's why I said 
That's why you need to move to the city, bro. We don't have those problems. But anyway, <laughs> as he explained this experience, it made me realize that his experience is very similar to a lot of us in that we are living with so much stress and anxiety and worry and knots in our stomach. It's just all this tension. And we're living as if the gift has not arrived. And yet it has fully arrived. In Jesus, in the incarnation, everything we've ever longed for, awaited, yearned for, whatever we hope for, whatever we think we need that our life is lacking, what if I told you it already arrived? What if I told you that the thing that you think that promotion will fix or more money will fix or different kinds of relationship will fix, what if I told you the thing you're waiting for has already arrived? It's here. And it arrived when God fulfilled this promise of sending his son, the Messiah, to come and redeem us through the incarnation. See, and what Romans 8 gives us, it gives us a really honest assessment of what's happening inside of us as we wait. Because as I said, we wait just like the world does, but we wait differently. We wait differently for many reasons. For one, Romans 8 tells us that because of what Jesus has done, his followers who have been made alive through his grace, when we put our faith in his lordship and trust in his sacrificial death and resurrection, the scriptures tell us we pass from death to life. And in that experience, what Paul says in Romans 8 verse 1, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the gift that has arrived that we don't have to wait for, that we don't have to cry out to God to fulfill one day in the future, the gift that has already taken place is this declaration of no condemnation for those of us who put our faith in Jesus. You realize that what God has done for us through his son is that he has freed every single one of us of shame, of guilt, of this state of being that Paul says is, that we are free from when he says there is no condemnation. See, to be condemned, it simply means that someone is viewed as guilty, that there's a judgment that's conferred on them. The judgment is one of guilt, and now that this, this guilty verdict that's been rendered says that you are condemned. There's no hope for you. Your chances are done. This is who you are. This is who you'll ever be. And then comes Jesus and says, because of what I've done for you, you can live free from condemnation. What Jesus says is possible for you and I when we put our faith in him is that you no longer have to live through life with the labels that have come to you by what you have done or what's been done to you, who society says you are, who society says you're not. You no longer have to carry the labels that sins cause us to carry. You and I could be free from that. And so we wait for God to ultimately fulfill his promise, but we don't wait 
as beggars, as paupers, as people who are striving to earn our place at God's table, we wait as people who have been freed from guilt and shame and condemnation. If you're looking for me to tell you better news, I really don't have better news to tell you than that. If you and I think there's better news than that, I have a rude disappointment for you because there is no better news than to know that because of what Jesus has done for us, we can live free from condemnation. So we wait as these liberated people. But not just, Jesus didn't just free us from condemnation in terms of shame and guilt hanging over our heads. What we also read that Paul says, because of what Jesus has done, he frees us from the state of condemnation that had us in this cycle where we heard God tell us to do things, but we were incapable of doing them. Look at what he says in verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And so what Paul says has happened by the arrival of this incredible gift is that now this cycle of bondage and condemnation where God would tell us to love our neighbor and we would be incapable of doing so, where God would tell us to be gracious to ourselves, to be generous, to be kind, to, to, to put others before us, and yet we would try and struggle and fail. This cycle of God speaking and us disobeying has been broken because of what Jesus has done. And he tells us that now those of us who have been made alive through the Spirit, we can fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. So what has happened for us is that now it's possible for you and I to hear God tell us something and obey it. That's absolutely stunning. That you and I have been invited into this powerfully dynamic relationship where the living God speaks to us from his word, through his spirit. And you and I not only have the capacity to hear it, but we are empowered to obey it. So this is why sin is still sin. Because if we are capable of obeying God, then we are still accountable when we don't. And what Paul is telling us is that now, through what Jesus has done for us, we now have the capacity to obey God. We have the capacity. Something has changed. And when you know, when you fully receive this gift, you can't remain the same. I remember a friend of mine where with us, he was very forthright, very direct. How many have friends like that? Where it's just like you don't have to guess what's on their mind. Um, it, it's such a gift. Uh, I, I'm too old to be a mind reader. You know what I'm saying? Just, just tell me where you're at. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, even if it's bad, I, I'd rather that. The guesswork is exhausting. And so he was, he was like that. We love that about him. But we notice at his job, 
he was like really shy and reserved. And he put up with a lot of stuff that we're like, man, he don't let us get away with any of that. And so it was like, who are these managers and these bosses? And what we didn't realize, the rest of our friends, we were insensitive to a reality he was dealing with that the rest of us weren't. The reason why he was putting up with so much stuff was because he was waiting for his green card. And he was here only on the basis of being able to work. And so if he, get, if he would get fired from that job, he would have to leave the country. And so therefore, he put up with a lot. It was abusive. It was absolutely terrible. And then my man got his green card. And oh, did he appear. All the moment it hit and it verified, it was like, that, that, I'm official, right? I'm good. The very next week, same insane request came. It was like, nope, I will not be doing that. <laughs> oh, but we want you to work on a weekend. Nope, I will not be doing that. That's not what you paid me for. It's like, hey, but we called you last night and you didn't pick up. It was 8 o'clock. I will not be picking up the phone when I leave. It, everything changed once he grabbed hold of that new reality. And I wonder what could possibly change in us if we stop living like the gift we're waiting for hasn't arrived yet. But we actually settle in the fact that the gift of being free from condemnation has arrived already. It's here. He hung on a cross, he bled, he was buried, he rose, he sent his spirit to live inside of us. The gift has arrived. So sin and guilt and shame don't have to bind us. We don't have to remain in this cycle of we hear God speak to us and we're incapable of obeying it because now through the spirit living inside of us, this is what Paul is talking about, we can obey what God is telling us. This is what's happening as we're waiting. We have opened and received this incredible gift, and yet we wait for the full fulfillment of God's promise, his second coming. But Paul not only tells us that we're free from condemnation, he also tells us, and this might be really helpful for a lot of us, to realize that the reason why we wait differently than the world waits is because we wait with the experience of having two natures inside of us. Two natures inside of us. If you look at what Paul describes here, verse 5 and onward, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. What Paul is drawing our attention to is this reality that for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus... The moment we put our faith in him, declared him Lord, put our trust in him as Savior and King over our lives, Scripture tells us we went from death to life, that we experience a new birth. 
that we went from being dead in our sins to now being made alive in righteousness. And so we have been given this brand new nature, this nature that Paul calls the spirit, and we can walk in the spirit, walk in this nature. But just because you and I have received the spirit, this new nature, Paul doesn't say that that automatically cancels out the old nature. What actually happens is now, for those of us who are following Jesus, you and I have this experience where there's two natures that we can access inside of us. That any given day, as a follower of Jesus, what's changed for us is that we, before we, we professed our faith in Christ, we only had one nature, and that was the sin nature, the flesh. That's all we had. Try as we will, we could try to access and we could try to reach, but it was beyond our reach to walk in the things that are only possible to walk in if you have the nature of the spirit inside of you. But now we have that nature inside of us. Now we can walk in communion with God. We can please God. We can have a mind that's after the things of God. We can submit to God's law. All things that Paul says are impossible to do if you walk in sinful nature. But we have this experience. As we wait, we wait with these two natures in tension, at war with one another. So though we're told we could live free from condemnation, that we could now obey God, because of what Jesus has done, he doesn't say that that will happen without any struggle. This might free some of us in this room from like guilt and shame, because some of us, we feel so battered down because we're trying really hard. We really wanna please God. We really wanna serve God. We're reading our Bible, we're in small group, we come to extended worship and prayer. We went to the retreat. We're doing everything we can. We're praying about extending hope. And yet you wake up every day. And if you honestly assess what's in your heart, there is like every single day, there's this inner rebellion that's raging, that's ready to usurp the king. Inside of us. And here's what, if, you, if we understand what Paul's saying, you and I will never mature to the point where you will wake up one day and you won't feel the tug of the flesh. Every si you can't, it's not like a, a thing of like, if I just memorize enough Bible verses, the flesh will stop being the flesh. If I just pray enough, one day the flesh will say, you know what, you win. I, I, I try to stop you all these years, but you're good, man. I, you're tougher than I thought. I'm no longer gonna resist God's purposes in your life. Go to church. Go ahead. I'm not going to bother you. Do whatever Jesus said. That day will never come. Now, that, that can be discouraging for some. It's like, really? I thought that day was coming. That's what I've been working really hard for. I, I, I thought one day I would just follow Jesus effortlessly without any resistance. No. Every single day as a follower of Jesus, there are these two natures that are inside 
raging against each other, and the question is, who will be king? If you and I walk in the flesh, we make ourselves king. If we walk in the spirit, we acknowledge that Jesus is king. And every single day, even in the minute moments, that's what we're ultimately deciding. Have you ever been in a, in a tense moment with someone and you say something and you watch the words leave your mouth and you're like, no, I know I'm going to regret this. And it's too late. And why do you feel that? Because you know the origin of those words. They came not from the spirit. They didn't come from this new nature that Jesus has given us. They came from our old nature. The nature that Paul says is bent on destruction, is bent on death. This is what's happening inside of us. So here's, that's the bad news. The flesh is never leaving. So when Jesus tells you to obey him, the good news is you can obey. The tough news is it's going to be a struggle to obey because the flesh never leaves us. But here's the great news. The spirit never leaves us either. That now you and I, because of Jesus, we have this new nature inside of us. The spirit of God lives inside of us. I don't think you and I fully process that as much as we should. Because if you actually believe that and we walk around believing that, that changes everything. Imagine someone disrespect you and they treat you poorly and you know that Jesus lives inside of you and say, don't talk to a child of a king that way. <laughs> if you know it, you know? If, if it's inside of you, if you know that he lives inside, that changes everything. It changes what you tolerate. It changes how you relate to people. It changes your, your willing to go the extra mile. Because of the spirit inside of us, we now have the ongoing capacity to obey Jesus. So when he tells us to love our neighbor, that's not just some fanciful, cute, nice idea. It's actually a possible reality for us to actually love our neighbor. When he tells us to be kind, we can actually do it. When he tells us to be kind to ourselves, we can actually do it. We now are empowered, continuously empowered, because of this new nature that's inside of us. Notice something Paul said has happened because of this dynamic change. Verse 9 to 11, it says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. How many 
enjoy the Lord of the Rings trilogy. There's always a decent amount of hands that goes up. I feel safe in rooms that people raise their hands that like Lord of the Rings. Um, if you don't like Lord of the Rings, I'll love you, but I'll slightly trust you less. Um, I'll question your judgment. It's great. It's great art. Great films. If you're familiar with, there's this scene where Frodo, he gets uh, tricked by that massive spider. Remember that massive spider? Some of you don't like spiders. You don't want to think about this too long. You remember the spider hooks him, and he, like, drops dead. And Samwise looks at him, his friend, and says, oh, he's dead. But he didn't know that the spider, when he would inject its prey with the venom, it didn't kill his prey, actually just made them catatonic. And so their bodies were rendered powerless. Now, it's a weird thing to use this reference, but just follow me for a second. Paul is saying that because of this new nature that we have, because of Jesus, he says the body is dead because of sin. But then it says the spirit gives life to our mortal bodies. So it's saying two things about the body. It's saying that Jesus, what Jesus has done essentially is he's made our bodies catatonic, unresponsive to sin. And now through the spirit, he's made our bodies responsive to righteousness. So as we wait, we wait, there's tension, there's struggle, but there's glorious reality that we could walk in where on a daily basis we can experience the spirit putting to death the body towards sin and making it alive toward righteousness. The body that used to be a slave to sin can now walk in the freedom that only righteousness gives. We wait but we wait differently during the Advent season. We wait in light of this reality. As we wind down, I want to talk to you about the difference between waiting in the flesh versus waiting in the spirit. As we wait, and again, we wait differently than the world because we wait having wrapped our arms around the arrival, the coming of Jesus. He's He's arrived. The incarnation has taken place, but we also wait, awaiting his return. And in that space, we could either choose to wait in the flesh or to wait in the spirit. How will you wait? That's a choice that you make every day. That's a, that's an, a question you answer every day, that I answer every day. How Will we wait? It's not a matter of if we will wait. But as we wait, how will we wait? And here's something to keep in mind that happens when you and I choose to wait in the flesh. Say, what does it mean to wait in the flesh? To wait in the flesh means to live out the impulses of our sinful nature with no restraint, with no pushback, where this inner insurrection that's happening on a daily basis that says, you will be king, not God, we just let it happen. We don't resist it. We don't squelch that rebellion. And what's happening when you and I live in the flesh, when we walk in it? You may not be aware of this, 
but it's happening in all of us. It's subtle. It's happening in the background. In order for you and I, as followers of Jesus, who can now walk in the spirit whenever we choose to walk in the flesh, you know what typically makes that choice our choice? Is that we feel pity for ourselves and entitled to make that choice. What do I mean by that? It's an interesting time we live in where we actually have transcripts from court proceedings or interviews from leaders, whether of corporations or even Christian leaders who have done awful things, have made really damaging decisions. And here's what's interesting, Christian and non-Christian alike, you can see a plot line that runs through leaders in those situations that I think applies to all of us. You'll hear them often say, life was really stressful. Life was really out of control. And so I made these poor choices. Or you don't know the pressures I was dealing with. And therefore I made, what, what is emerging is this sense of entitlement. And this plot line of self-pity is like, because I felt bad for myself or I felt bad about my situation or because stress was so high, I gave myself a pass and I did what I knew I shouldn't do. Here's the news flash for us. You don't have to be some leader of some significant note in order to think that way. In fact, anytime you and I choose to walk in the flesh, whether you're aware of it or not, that thought process has been at work. Where we gave ourselves a pass, where we felt entitled to. And that somehow darkened our lens to see what we were really giving ourselves a pass was to declare ourselves our own king, was to say we reject the authority of Jesus. That we, re that we don't, we choose not to access this new life that we have in the spirit that empowers us to obey. This week, I want you to pay attention to moments where the flesh is really warring. What, is it, what are the thought process? Paul said the, the flesh has a mindset. It says they mind the things of the flesh. It's a thought process. It's not just feelings or impulse. There's a logic behind the flesh. And the logic is one of self-pity and entitlement that elevates you as king and resists the lordship of Jesus. So in those moments of temptation, listen for those thoughts that give you a pass. Like, I know I shouldn't talk to them this way, but they've been getting on my nerves. You just gave yourself a pass. I know I shouldn't look at this, but, you know, I've been really stressed and this would help me decompress. You gave yourself a pass. I know I shouldn't say this because this is a generalization and it's borderline racist, but, you know, this experience, you gave yourself a pass. What are the entitlement, self-pity logic that inserts itself that keeps us walking in the flesh? Pay attention to that. Because that's what walking in the flesh looks like. It looks like us trying to save ourselves, live for ourselves, trusting in things to save us, all while giving ourselves a pass, saying we're entitled to this, we deserve this, all the while denying this new reality 
that we could walk in the Spirit. But what does waiting in the Spirit look like? Waiting in the Spirit. Because again, we're waiting. We all wait. But as followers of Jesus, we wait differently. We have these two natures that every single day we're choosing which nature we're going to live in. We have this alternative. We could choose to, to wait in the flesh, constantly indulging and, and never resisting our own impulses and justifying and explaining away and giving ourselves a pass. Or we can wait in the spirit and to wait in the spirit is to constantly seek to honor Jesus as the spirit empowers us to do so. As he empowers our obedience. And if waiting in the flesh is marked by entitlement and self-pity, waiting in the spirit is marked by continuous cultivation of intimacy with Jesus. You and I have zero chance of waiting in the spirit if we're not trying to cultivate continuous intimacy with Jesus. Not just alone individually, but in community. What does that look like? You know, last week, something really cool happened. And it was in this service. And so if you were here during this service, you, you experienced it. You saw it happening. And so I ended the service. And then I walked down. I have this secret escape patch. It's right through there, through those stairs. New people always get freaked out. You know, like it's like, let's close in prayer. They close their eyes. I disappear. Then they see me downstairs. Like, how'd you do that? <laughs> and so, so I did that. Go downstairs and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Like, nobody's coming. What's going on? And then Pastor Denise comes and finds me and she's like, hey, Chris, they just broke out into like worship again. I'm like, what? And so I come back upstairs and folks were just lost in the presence of God, enjoying Jesus. It's like, and here's the thing some people did leave because at a certain point I questioned, I was like, did I not dismiss accurately? <laughs> Did they not, was I not clear enough? Like, I was just like, I, I want to spiritualize this moment. I want to feel really good about our church, yes. But I was like, you know, maybe I didn't, but no, some people left. But a lot of people remained. You know what it reminded me? It reminded me of the early days of a relationship where it's just like, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. <laughs> just this sense of we, not wanting to leave, to linger. To cultivate a continuous sense of God's presence. You know, my 13-year-old reminded me of something I used to do with her when she was a kid. I did it with all the kids. And, uh, but at a certain point, they, you know, they become too cool. And they were like, nah, Dad, it's cool. But in the mornings when they would go to school, we would do this thing called kissing hand. And I would kiss their hand. And I would say, hey, throughout the day, if you get lonely, if you get scared, if you get nervous... Just take your hand and put it on your cheek and remember that we love you, that you're ours, and that you're going to be home soon, and we'll see you again. And my daughter told me, she was like, Dad, I didn't want to tell you, but I used to put my hand on my face all the time. Throughout the day, at various moments, I would just remind myself, and it would calm me. You know what all of the spiritual disciplines in Scripture are really all about? It's kind of putting our hand 
and reminding ourselves that God loves us. Reminding us that he's near us. That he actually loves us. That he's not like tolerating us. He loves us. He enjoys being with you. If you ask God what he wants to do, he would say, I want to be with my creation, my people, my children. How badly do you want that? I crucified my own son to make that possible. He badly wants us to enjoy him, to know him, to wait in the spirit is to do everything and anything you and I could do in order to cultivate that intimacy. To remind ourselves of his love. Whether it's scripture, whether it's community, whether it's worship gatherings like this, what could you and I commit to doing in order to wait in the spirit? Again, we wait, but we wait differently. The question is, how will we wait? What would it look like for you and I to choose to wait in the spirit? So many amazing things can change. Could I invite us to stand as the worship team comes forward? And as we respond in these next few moments, the prayer team is in the back. And they would love to pray with you regarding anything that you need prayer for. Whether it's the words that were shared earlier and any of those words resonate, this would be a time for you to slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer. Anything the message might have stirred for you or just anything you need prayer for, you can slip out of your seat in these next few moments and to the back, to my right, to your left, they would love to pray with you. Could I invite us, could we raise our hands in the presence of God as we turn to him in these next few moments to seek him, to worship him. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done, that there's no condemnation for those who are in you, that we could be free from sin and shame, but we could also be empowered to obey, and that we have this new nature that we can access and draw from and live from. May we walk and wait in the spirit. Let's turn to him now.